Blog Talk Radio. And attitude. 
May freedom ever be the march for the Gullah Gee Chief Nation on the sea. For Cato, Gullah Jack, and all our Angolan ancestry, we still cry out, Liberty! 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 This year, the Queen West broadcasting for you. Glad it's one of the nine weeks on this show, Gullah Geechee Rhythm Radio. Welcome to this continuous celebration. We story month, listening to the living legacy and a pay ancestral homage. We thank God for the Gullah Geechee Sealant Coalition. But still, taste the march of freedom, forward, even now, while I a Yeti story. But who we be, and we be Gullagichi, and not people. So glad that Hunter Children are joining one more again for this year. Black History Month was celebrated in the United States and things like that. And celebrated October over yonder in England and things like that. But you know, for we see the celebrate who we be all year long. And no such a thing that so we just wait on a drug 28 days or 29 days and things like that. We are always not through freedom song. So now for all the 100 children who ain't know who this should be, this is a queen quite head from the body of the Gullah Nation. So glad to have to tune one more again to this year, Gullah Geechee Radio Station. Now this evening, we're going to crack we teeth about the freedom freedom and the freedom riders. Now let me crack we teeth and with all of me listeners and what they around the world, most 90,000 or 100 children, you don't need a program and things like that, baby. We want to understand. All of what made a crack with people that you grasp the totality and the complexity of a dialogue during Black History Month, our story month, where we talk about Gullah Geechee freedom fighters and freedom riders. Of course, the theme for the 2014 Black History Month in the United States, civil rights in America. So, at Penn Center, a couple of weeks ago, and on the Gullah Geechee Facebook fan page, we posted a document called Freedom Riders, so that many could see it. If they had attended that session, they would have met a man named Dave Dest, who had once been on the board of Penn. There was also, Miss Edith Sumter got us to death. There was a native of St. Helena Island that one, was one of our Freedom Riders. There were also many others that were from Sea Islands in Charleston County, South Carolina, that became Freedom Riders. And so because that's the theme for this year, we want to start there and we want to work our way backwards in time. Because many people discuss the Freedom Rides, the Freedom Riders, they see the documentaries every Black History Month. Every Black History Month, they see this. Well, many have never heard of the journey of reconciliation. You've heard about the Reconciliation Act and movement in South Africa, but the journey of reconciliation was a nonviolent action to challenge segregation in the South. It was a two-week journey that started on the 9th of April in 1947. It involved only 16 people, 16 men. And they feel that it was really this that led to later what the Freedom Riders did. So you see, I always like to look at the background because people always believe that history begins the day that they learn about it. 
as opposed to really researching it. But these 16 men were part of a core, the Congress of Racial Equality. There were eight white and eight black, okay? There was a white Methodist minister named George House. He was of the Fellowship for Reconciliation. And from CORE, there was a black Quaker, Bernard Rustin. Many of you have seen him in the civil rights films, God bless the dead. And there was the American Friends Service Committee that he was also part of. Now, the other black participant was a Chicago musician named Dennis Banks. Now, not to be confused with the Dave Dennis, Dennis Banks, okay, Andrew Johnson, a student from Cincinnati, a New York attorney named Conrad Lynn, Wallace Nelson, who was a freelance lecturer, Eugene Stanley of North Carolina A&T College, William Worthy of the New York Council for Permanent FEPC, and Ethan Wright, who was a church social worker from Cincinnati. So you see, again, these were people that largely from other areas that were north and in the west, as opposed to just this one here that would be at North Carolina A&T. Now, the white defense were North Carolina ministers, Louis Adams and Ernest Bromley, Joseph Fennett of the Southern Workers Defense League, Homer Jack, Executive Secretary of Chicago Council Against Racial and Religious Discrimination. That's Homer Jack. That's clear when I talk about someone else later. James Heck, editor of the Workers Defense League News Bulletin. Worth Randall, a Cincinnati biologist and racial radical pacifist. Egal Rodenko. All right, hope I pronounce his name correctly. Now, what their plan was that they were going to ride public transportation in Virginia, North Carolina, Tennessee, and Kentucky. And so they were going to get on together over this two-week trip and then something try to even sit side by side in all of this. And y'all might say, well, what's the deal about that? Because, again, this is happening in the 1940s, which means it is time segregation. Whites and blacks in the South were not to sit next to each other, especially on public transportation. They were supposed to be separate, hence the word segregation. So now when you come forward into what is now deemed the civil rights movement, and you have the Freedom Riders. These were civil rights activists that rode interstate buses also into the South. Okay? They started up in 1961, and then they kind of continued on from there. But the very first Freedom Ride left from Washington, D.C. on May 4th in 1961, and they intended to ride for a couple weeks to end up in New Orleans. Um, May the 17th, and I'm hailing all my folks in New Orleans. I know Mardi Gras coming up, and there's a big surprise for y'all happening at Mardi Gras. can't talk about that, but just uh, I just wanted to give you that shout-out right now since I mentioned the city. Got love, love for the city of New Orleans. So now at that time, though, that city of New Orleans had no love us in the 1960s. Still irrigation. So any of the public areas, any, you know, waiting rooms, restrooms, these types of things, was white only, black only, blacks didn't get to sit inside, whites would sit down inside, or whites would have a section that would have fans. You just sweat. You know, these kinds of things that went on. Many people today, because they didn't grow up in that era, 
think, well, what was a big deal? It wasn't nothing to go sit on some buses and do something. People actually would take their lives in their hands by going ahead and sitting down on these buses, especially if they sat on these buses next to others who were of other who were of other uh, races and so forth. So many people today are not fully aware of all that has taken for such a movement to go on, that we have these kinds of this at all times and through all things that our people start to be able to hear about our story. And so even now, as we go into the celebration further of civil rights, many do not look into the background of what happened prior to the civil rights movement. And so that's why tonight I think it is critical. I think it's not robbery, okay, to share with you these different things and this background on what actually led to what started, so to speak, that the whole movement of our people. I see that there are some glitches that some folks are having that are in our chat room, but they're saying they are not actually getting sound. So I hope that the broadcast is going through so that many folks can hear it. Right now at this hour, we're going to test a couple of things and just make sure that that is the case. But I know that each time we seem to get onto a subject of this magnitude this year, we've had glitches here with blog talk. So I'm definitely praying that folks that are in the chat room, that you go ahead and you refresh your window, that you could now be able to hear. I'm hoping that you are now getting sound, so just let me know if you are so that we can continue on. And so definitely so definitely there is a great deal to learn about our story. So I'm definitely it not just because it is Black History Month, but because it's critical. They all say to us, our elders always taught us, if hunting and we're hunting, they're from hunting, I know where to go. But you also need Sankofa. Go back and fetch it. You need to go back into the legacy of our story to understand the dynamics that people live through. So as people did these freedom rides, keep in mind, they did it for everyone not just for themselves as individuals. They were doing this for the entire community, especially the entire black community. They wanted a better life for everyone. They could have stayed at home from where they lived into the South where they could die. Well, there was a group that also was formed at a time that many of you may not have heard of, that to me seemed to draw upon the legacy of freedom fighters that had come 
before them. And these freedom fighters are the deacons of defense. Now, there was a film that was done about them, and you can purchase that film today. And when we start talking about Louisiana, when I gave that shout-out about New Orleans, Louisiana played a very significant part in the civil rights era and the civil rights movement that many people don't hear about. And we have gully chiefs that are down in Louisiana, and you hear them usually only referred to as Ichi down there. And so here it is that you had many of the men, no doubt, that were part of Jonesboro and Parish, which is part of North Louisiana, that came together and did the things that their elders, their ancestors had taught them about truly how to protect your family, how to protect your community, that they wanted true freedom. Now, before we talk about what they did, I just mentioned a key word, this whole discussion, freedom. Most of my regular listeners know that I like to deal with how do people find certain words as we proceed and trying to educate people about the link to the Gullah Nation. Well, when I looked in the American Dictionary, freedom is defined the power or right to act, speak, or think one wants without hindrance or restraint. It's defined as the absence of subjection to foreign domination or despotic government. It's defined as the enslaved. The state being physically unrestricted and able to move easily. Freedom from the state of not being subject to or affected by a particular undesirable thing. The one I love. The power of self-determination attributed to the will. That's the definition I love. The power of self-determination attributed to the will. The quality of being independent of fate or necessity. An unrestricted use of something. Now, here is power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. I wanted to give you that definition before I talked about the deeds of defense because they truly were, they felt entitled to that definition, to embodiment of that definition. They felt had a right, that definition. So they took it upon themselves to ensure that for themselves and for others. So here it is, that, I know y'all, y'all go to get you, y'all go say, well, this y'all sound like one of my cousins and thing when I start these names now. In November of 1964, in Jonesboro, Louisiana, a man named Ernest Chili Willie Thomas. Yes, we have some Thomases in Gullagichi Nation. I know that. I know you're kidding to y'all or not. Okay, but Ernest Chili Willie Thomas and Frederick Douglass Kilpatrick. Yes, Frederick Douglass Kilpatrick started this group, and they started the Deacons of Defense in order to actually protect civil rights workers. They wanted to protect the people in their community. That Ku Klux Klan was constantly coming upon the people and threatening these people's lives or actually killing people, lynching people. Now, Ernest Chili Willie Thomas had, was born in Jonesboro, Louisiana, on November 20, 1935. So this man had already lived 30 years, essentially, 
in extreme condition segregation, had seen all kinds of vicious attacks against his own people, could have made a choice to stand on the sideline as a boss or stand at the front line and fight back. So they created a place and a space actually called Freedom House. And so on the first volunteers at Freedom House was Julie Wade. He was the first one to volunteer to actually guard the house. said that he was eager to work with CORE, the same group you mentioned a while ago. But he had reservations about these nonviolent terms that they kept imposing upon, upon young activists because they had already witnessed that these people were violently attacking the nonviolent people. So the deacons of self-defense started to do just that, defend the nonviolent civil rights workers. Now, not everybody who y'all who might be running your mind as a nonviolent person that you see as iconic or that you get repeated over and over in the context of documentaries that are done by PBS and so forth were people who did not have arms. They just did they didn't use them if they were marching, but didn't they didn't have them. Now one name in particular, Fanny Lou Hammer. All right, from Mississippi, God bless the dead. Fanny Lou Hammer was known to have her gun. Okay? Was known. Several guns in her house. And even up underneath her bed. Someone else who repeatedly has been mentioned, had guns in his home, was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Now, in fact, I found a very, very interesting quote as I was preparing for tonight. It said, according to Annalise Burks, quote, even Martin Luther King Jr., the icon of nonviolence, employed on bodyguards and had guns in his house during early stages of the Montgomery bus boycott in 1956. Glenn Smiley, an organizer of the Strictly Nonviolent and Pacifist Fellowship of Reconciliation, observed during House visit that the police did not allow King a weapon permit, but that place is an arsenal. End quote. Now, again, because of the affiliation with the folks started up this journey of reconciliation, because of their particular structure, because of following Gandhi's principles of nonviolence, then, of course, you hear about the frontline aspects of the nonviolent movement. But these folks' lives, again, were in jeopardy. Who were leaders? Who were the most vocal during this rights movement? So they wanted to protect their families who were children, who were people's wives that were being on the phone. People were trying to bomb places, all these kinds of things. They're being spit on, attacked in the street. They don't know what's going to happen at any given time. The men wanted to make sure still their wives and their children were protected. Even though they might march and been involved, being hit and beat up all day long in a march, they weren't going to also have this happen to their families at home. But now you have the two ends of the spectrum in terms of what was going on during the civil rights movement and out of it growing the freedom writers, the freedom rise, 
who did not carry guns because carrying a gun across the interstate lines, well, they immediately got them thrown in jail. That's number one. Number two, they were trying to prove a point to the world. And if they could get enough media to show that someone would continuously attack and beat a person unarmed, then maybe the entire world would see that this is a brutal situation. You see, brutal. So here it is that we have a ongoing, ongoing battle of which tools should be used when we start talking about freedom for people of African descent. As I mentioned, the deacons of self-defense who felt that they were using this definition of freedom, the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. So having the Freedom House and being able to meet there and have the gatherings and speak freely to one another about what was best for them would be attacked, being that they were the absence of being subjected to foreign domination, a despotic government, the local government, town men, coming down to stop them from gathering. They did not want to be enslaved again. They did not want to go back into that state. Remember, hey, enslavement is supposed to be over. Not only do you not have the Emancipation Proclamation, you have the signing of the amendments that are declaring they are supposed to be citizens also. They are supposed to have the right to vote also as men, black men. So here it is. Here they're being restricted, though. So they cannot move easily. If you move to certain places, you move around, you get in buses, you go to these places, these places are segregated, you're trying to desegregate them, you are going to be physically threatened. So how free are you? Everything that was going on this time of segregation was against freedom. But yet, the deacons of defense, many who now people couch as the black people of the same time frame, had in mind that they had a right to their arms because that was in the U.S. continent, and they had a right simply to build on to standing up for themselves as one of our leaders of one of the greatest planned insurrections in the nation felt was his right to stand up his people and once again could have again stood on the sidelines because during enslavement, before the Civil War began, he was a free man, won his freedom, bought his freedom by winning a lottery. Many of y'all trying to do that. Bought his freedom by winning the lottery. But do you know the type of fury that came forth in Charleston, South Carolina, in the Gullah Geechee Nation, when it was announced? that a monument, a statue of democracy was going to be in the heart of downtown Charleston on the peninsula, all to see. It's fine that they're Confederates there, but people were in an uproar, and this is in thousands. But that monument now stands. It had now unveiled. It stands. All people were there. They were out with tears streaming down their faces because they thought the day would never come 
that those of us who are still fighting for freedom today had to fight for, petition for, press for, and stick with the folks there to get a statue placed in the heart of Charleston to Denmark, B.C., whose uprising of 1822 was actually foiled. But can you imagine that people are still upset about that because, again, this man is an icon of freedom for Gullah Geechee's, an icon of African descent, especially those in North America, because of his international status and his ability. So tonight, because I've been several shows where I've talked about Denmark, Vesey, and many of you are aware of my personal connections with Denmark, Vesey, or Denmark, Vesey, I want to read to you tonight from Legacy of Evo Landing, Gullah Roots of African-American Culture, from Peace in It Until the Gullah War, written by the late Gagichi, sacred ancestor, Dr. Yusuf Clyde, who I want to dedicate this prayer to tonight because he truly lived his life as a freedom fighter. He was someone who was involved in the civil rights movement, really analyzed and recognized that the true movement that we needed was human rights. And he educated me. He educated many of our Central Council of Elders members. He has left a legacy to continue for freedom until all people in the world have equality. So I want to read you. What he wrote of the Denmark Vesey Conspiracy of 1822. Despite the efforts of the U.S. to ban knowledge of the Gullah insurgency in Florida, it appears highly unlikely that this would have been completely successful in the course of the implacable pursuit of the Gullah by the U.S. Many were captured by the efforts of colonists to Indiana by the federal government forces and returned in their subsequent dispersal throughout the slavehold territories was likely to have proliferated world gullah battles with U.S. colonists, even with the U.S. military, throughout the enslaved populations, either directly or by word of mouth. This combined with the inspiration of and assistance resulting from the successful Haitian Revolution helps to clarify how an insurrection plotted in Charleston, South Carolina in 1822 could have been deemed feasible by the plotters and elicited support of over 9,000 Gullah in the area. By 1822, almost all of the enslaved Africans in the plantations surrounding Charleston joined the revolt. Peter Poyas, among Vitsi's lieutenants, and said to be one of the great military organizational geniuses of the earliest 19th century, organized the revolt into a separate cell under individual leaders. That this revolt not simply drawing on local forces in Charleston areas possibly indicated by the involvement of Gullah Jack, who was selected to lead the contingent from a coastal island near Charleston. That's John's Island, roughly area James Island. All right near Charleston, having been liberated during what is usually referred to as the Seminole Raid, an attack on Kingsley Plantation, and likely captured and re-enslaved at some point during the war in Florida. Gullah Jack would have brought to the conspiracy an awareness of the Gullah insurgency that had been taking place in Florida, as would all other Africans who had been captured and enslaved, who had doubtless been the most resistant elements within the community. Their connection would have tied the easy result into the fabric of the ongoing Gullah struggle, word of which must spread to some degree to the plantations 
by means of those who had been captured and turned to enslaved. Gullah Jack was an Angolan man. Gullah Jack was considered a leader, a healer. Some even call him a sorcerer because they didn't understand traditional spiritual practices that he utilized and that he employed amongst those who were part of insurrections, not only uprisings, as I prefer to call them, in Florida, around the King's Plantation, Tequilin uh, Preserve, now it is, where many of you have seen us on Gullichi TV for the Gullichi Seminole reunion. We saw pouring libation in those tabby cabins that yet remain in the shells of those cabins that literally and figuratively that yet remain. Jack makes it from La Florida northward, the reverse of many others, such as someone else who led an uprising well before, well before the Denmark Vesey uprising. And that man being Cato led the Stoner Rebellion of 1739. Now I want to also read to you again from this same chapter in the legacy of Evo Landing called the Gullah War, the Stoner Rebellion of 1739. While we have decided to date the commencement of the Gullah War at 1739, the date of the Stoner Uprising, this is not to say that Gullah resistance had not been significant even before that time. Peter Wood notes, quote, the Stone Uprising was preceded by a series of projected insurrections, any one of which could have been assumed significant proportions. Taken together, all these incidents represent a brief but serious groundswell of resistance to slavery, which had diverse and last repercussions. A lengthy chapter in Wood's book's Black Majority deals with the subject of runaways, all right? Now, when you look at this, that there were unprecedented numbers of uprisings, upheavals, and fighting back even before 1739 when we date 1670, the founding of Charlestown, that tells you that there was, and that ought to tell you that there are, still freedom fighters that is in the bloodline. It's in the very DNA of the people to fight. Many of you might say, well, where the Stone Rebellion took place at? Well, it was Saint, what they called at that time St. Paul's Parish near the western part of the Stone River. So today we would call it Hollywood Ravenel area. So when you heard that piece from Sea Island Soul, which is a CD by myself and the Gullah Connection to Open Night Show, detailing Stoner Rebellion, and we call that Cato's March, it gives you a little bit more insight into that time and that space. That there is no way that one should be unknowledgeable today. But during Black History Month, you don't see too many documentaries anymore at all on black history of any kind showing on national television in the U.S. 
But also, when you do, you see a, a replay of the same things over, 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 the same one somebody making all the documentaries and making them all just black or African-American across the board, not specifying any particular region groups, kind of nullifying the fact that we are not monolith. You have that or you have just rights films edited to just show you the same footage time and again and have the same people up front once again. Never give you the background on others who stood by their sides, who take their lives like the deacons of defense. Never show you where they got certain ideas and concepts from and that they were building on something that came before themselves. So here it is. That is the same situation and scenario of why you probably I didn't hear of any of this these gullibles. I didn't hear the Stone Billion. Um, who's Denmark Best BC? Who are these people? Who is Kato? Who's Gullah Jack? You might very well be sitting there saying, Wow, I can't believe I don't know. No, believe you didn't know until tonight. Now that you know, Clyde proceeded on in this same chapter. He said, similar to the situation in Haiti. 80, political and military circumstances created by the efforts of three European governments to claim the same area of the Americas, Florida, in confrontation with the emerging revolutionary U.S. nation state, led to a situation where the Gullah and First Nations were able to secure weapons to pursue their own best interests and seeking freedom from enslavement in the creation and effect of a multiracial, egalitarian democracy. This strategy of the European states, so-called free slaves, so that they would fight against those who enslaved them, knowing that once a common enemy was defeated, African-Americans would be totally at the disposal of their emancipator, was probably later used by the North in order to take control of the some portion of the U.S. from the Confederate government. Now, he's referring to how these same mental strategies were used over and over, but put people kind of back in a position of bondage, take people back into the Jim Crow era, the black codes built on the slave codes and so on. And the slave codes came about after this uprising. And in particular, in 1739, after the Stoner Rebellion, and Stoner Rebellion took place on September the 9th, 1739. Here it was that there became a law that's now referred to as Negro Act of 1740 that was passed in South Carolina. Again, place women today, many people are upset that Marcy's statue stands there. It's not even a breathing person, but that the statue stands there because what it represents. The Negro Act of 1740 was passed in my home state, South Carolina, which made it illegal for people of African descent, because they were considered bond servants, they were considered to be enslaved, they were slaves to these other folks writing these laws, they said made it illegal for them to move abroad, meaning you're not supposed to leave out the country. Notice what Dr. Clyde talked about, this infusion of people who had already been free being placed back into bondage with others who never had known freedom was how you proliferated how to get free. So they did not want you moving around and moving abroad. They also did not want others from abroad to hear your horrific stories, which is what led later to the abolitionist movement, when people could start to actually see 
and hear from people who had lived through bondage and enslavement, this sort of tugged at the heartstrings, a similar process to what the civil rights, freedom fighters and civil rights movement, interracial sit-ins and the planning and structure was about. Again, if people could hear a living story, something you lived through, this horror you lived through of enslavement and show them wealth for your back that had now healed but were still permanently in your skin, your skin is raised and beat me. You see, here it is that they're likely to say, well, this is a horrible thing. I, too, believe it is a horrible thing. I, too, will stand with you to fight against it. So, again, this tactic was used that they did not want you to move abroad because then the story was read. People to assemble in groups now because that was the way Cato had planned. That was the way Marcy ended up planning. That was the way Freedom House was being done. All right? Don't want you to assemble and didn't want to raise food. I know some of y'all. I know some of y'all right now saying, "Queen, that's how that lost ladies now because they try to make it hard for people growing and want food." You're right. So think about these things now. If you don't know history, destined to repeat it. Right, that the Negro Act of 1740 to prevent our people from raising food, wanted to prevent us from earning money because again, with money. You could buy your way out of bondage. So they don't let you earn no money because if you have money, you could eventually approach mass of them and buy your way to freedom. Also didn't want you to learn how to read English. At first, they didn't think you can read, but they didn't want you to write. And part of the reason being is because some scripts that could get written for people to leave and travel, not going abroad per se, but going from plantation to plantation, going up the road as a means of you getting away later on what would be deemed the Underground Railroad, but just escape. They did not want someone who was also a person in bondage to possibly write what looked like free papers for you, nor did they want them to write any notes saying that you had a right to travel and they would be forging this note. So stop from writing. But as a parallel to stopping somebody from writing is really stopping them also from becoming literate in reading because if you know how to read, usually learn writing and reading together. They're kind of hand in hand. So you have people now trying to strip you of anything that you could possibly do to, again, enter your freedom and that of others. And it also allowed the murder of anybody they felt was rebellious. Murder, the killing of anybody that they felt was an insane person who they thought was in rebellion. So this is why even now, in the human rights movement for Gullah Geechis, as a current freedom fighter, we have those who would prefer 
to be very silent, who don't want to stand up for landlords, who have tried to get me not to speak up or speak out because they are on the opposing end. They, again, are the juxtaposition of the same type parallels we mentioned at the beginning when talking about these various groups who one wanted to go in one direction that was very passive and another group was saying, no, we need to stand up, speak out, and we need to protect ourselves at the same time. We have the same thing going on now, so much so that the very people who are against the human rights movement of the Gullah Geechee Nation and the self-determination that the Gullah Geechee Nation has stood on are actually saying, oh, well, no, don't even call us part of the Gullah Geechee Nation. And let's make sure, don't put Gullah with the slash or the Geechee after it so it shows the two words side by side connecting. No, or put a space between the two. These are the now don't want to fight for freedom. They are comfortable with going along with the continued exploitation of the community and of the cult as a commodity to be sold and packaged, as opposed to working with the people to remain on their land, educating our children to continue the culture and their traditions, being able to empower our elders to make sure they have proper ways to live and have a quality of life to live and to learn our traditions and present our traditions to others of the world because it is our right to do so. Why is it our right to do so? Let's go back to the word freedom. Human rights means that you have freedom. That means that you can speak, act, think without hindrance or restraint. You do not have to be subject to foreign domination or despotic government. It means that people should not imprison you because you speak up in your language like this and thing like that or otherwise the other rest of people ain't want yet that say hold on one and thing like that that are their business. So you shouldn't be enslaved or put into bondage because somebody else feels that that's where it should be because they oppose your views on the topic. All right? This is your right to not be physically restricted, that you should have freedom of movement, move easily. All of these things that are in the definition of freedom I'm looking at are things that are part of the essence of the Declaration of Human Rights, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. These are the things that fight for daily, that the world would stand up and be true freedom fighters. And for us to do that, that means we have to do that at our own place, amongst our own people, on our own land. Someone else to be who you want them to be, but respect who they are and how they have the ability to share their culture with the rest of the world. But here we go. We are now affected. We're subject to this undesirable thing. We were subject to the brutality of corporal punishment. Everyone yet we the crack we tea like a shining school like a subject to the harassment because you are different. This is something that doesn't say you're free. When you start to stand up and fight back against that, that says in your heart, in your soul, you still hear the drum beating. You still know what it is. See freedom. 
You feel it. You march it. You exude it. You exemplify it. You embody the definition. Your unrestricted use of your land, the unrestricted use of your language, the unrestricted use of your spiritual practices, the unrestricted use of your drum, the unrestricted use of your polyrhythms, the unrestricted use of the things that make you who you are means you then are free. But if you got access on, can you do it? Can you do that? Or if you do one, you might get in trouble. You got a high dip and have to do it. That's not an unrestricted use. So again, here it is during chattel enslavement. Here it is during the civil rights movement. Here it is that there are people today that would put those restrictions back on other people of African descent. When I mention the people who are engaging in practices against Gullah Geechee human rights, I'm talking some other people of African descent doing this. So what are they fighting for? Or are they fighting at all? It doesn't look like it. So here it is. Us freedom fighters today, the leaders of the Gullah Geechee Nation, me being head from the body, wisdom, self-count assembly of representatives and things like that. We are young deacons of defense. We stand on the power of self-determination. Standing documentary that you can go to Gullah TV. And you can actually go to our channel on YouTube and you can see under Gullah Geechee documentaries the way to survive the story, the Gullah Geechee Nation. You can go there and see that title, I feel, was divinely ordered for that first documentary that bore the name of the Gullah Geechee Nation. Because it shows this definition so superbly. That is the power of self-determination attributed to the will. It is about the will to survive. It is about the will to be free and the quality of being independent of fate or necessity. When I grind out on any flint, I got it. I didn't grind for get anything for nyampon. I grind to the corner and cast net and I got to get something for nyampon and all that thing. I got necessity and the force from the mind. But... Necessary for me to have this with. Necessary for my children had to think for that fun. Necessary for me for I had the land that we grew up in. But so now, we shouldn't have to worry about our fate, is what real freedom is. We should, which is one of the things talked about in the will to survive the fate of the Gullah Geechee. Well, I think the fate that they were talking about then in that film when it came out, we have passed where they thought we might be now. Because there is a resurgence of people taking pride in who we be. Taking pride in standing up and speaking out for our right to self-determination. It is the energy of the people that gives power to self-determination. It is the energy of a people to be free. It gives them, it might have anything like that, for Noah for do. For plenty culture and things like that, other rest of the people are telling for Tron we. So it is vital at this hour and at this time in the world as well as being black history with many listening to the broadcast that might not send other months because they feel apropos to listen this time. It's time that if you too seek freedom, if you support the freedom of the Gullah Geechee Nation, stand up and say so. Stand up and be an advocate for 
accumulate of the people. Freedom fights have not ended, so freedom fighters cannot be all gone. We have to take a stand continuously for our culture and our land. So if you go to gullicianation.com, you can find all kinds of links about who we are and so that you can connect. If you go to www.gullagichi.net, you can see that the Gullagichi Seattle Coalition, where I founded, is a premier organization that has stood up as the freedom fighters of today for the Gullagichis around the world. You can become a member. You don't have to be Gullagichi to be a member of the Gullagichi Seattle Coalition. You have to be Gullagichi to be a citizen of the Gullagichi Nation, though as we are a nation like any other of the world. But now if you want to just support the efforts of the still fighting yet for our freedom and for human rights, please be sure. Email us to G-U-L-L-G-E-E-C-O at AOL.com. Go Geeko. Of this year's Gullah Geechee Land Legacy World Tour that I'm on has taken me into Florida, has taken me back along the King's Highway, has taken me right alongside the St. John's River. These were the mechanisms, the the methods. These were the roadways and the waterways that took our people from Carolina through Georgia into Florida for freedom. And as I said to you, some of them came up out of Florida and came north like Gullah Jack and came back up this way to inspire their people. They could have stood on the sidelines. So I say to you, where are you? Are you on Freedom Road or are you standing on the sidelines? Freedom is a road seldom traveled by the multitudes. So right now I'm going to open up the telephone line. I see I already have a caller from 301 hanging on the line that's hanging with me. We're going to open up the call line tonight at 347-324-3903, 347-324-3903. If Hunter Chillin want to join, we got a crack key for Lee Wild and things like that. Come on in, Angel on hand. Glad to see you back in the room. All my guests, the chat room that made it and hang through the show, even though it's been a leave technical glitch a Lee Wild ago where you couldn't yet anything and think of that. We glad Hunter made them back because I know you ain't just a sit there and yet it nothing. So glad that you're there for the whole show and definitely always standing up, Angel on hand to fight for our rights. I saw you even post today on uh, Facebook and let someone know of this fiction film that's out there that people are lording over that's been out for over 20 years. That's just what it was. It was a fiction film. But at what point do they want to connect to the real sort, the real land, and take a real stand for our culture and help us continue to fight for the land? So thank you. I saw that earlier, and I'm going to be here tonight so I can let you know that I saw it. And I appreciate you continuing to be a freedom fighter today for our people and stand up even for the chilling at the schools in your district. So thank you for that. 301-204, about to knock at your door. 301-204, I at your door. Good evening. How honored to do <laughs> Peace, Sister Quay. How you doing? I'm quite well. Who this young? Brother Dave, I'm just listening in. I don't really have much to say at the moment. I actually just tuned in about maybe three, four minutes ago or so. All right. So you just taking the free ride with me tonight. That's right. I'm listening. I'm listening, sister. I'm right here listening. I'm going to be here for the remainder of the show. If I have a comment, I'll just... Uh, cue back in. I really didn't mean to cue myself in. I don't have anything to say at the moment. 
you are right. You are right. What you said is just fine. I'm glad that you're here with me tonight. And you know you can always go back and listen to the whole show from the beginning in the archive. You can download it, too, from iTunes or from the website about five to ten minutes after I get off the air. So you ain't missing nothing. We just getting started. Okay. Okay. Thanks a lot. All right. Peace and blessings. I appreciate your support. Yeah, it's always good to know that folks are out there listening and that they're sharing. And as I just said to the brother, you can always download not only the current edition, but there are all of the past editions of Gullah Geechee Rhythm Radio are available on iTunes for free. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You can also be a follower here at blogtalkradio.com slash Gullah Geechee so that you will also get email alerts every week when the show comes on the air. Now, I know all of my regular listeners, y'all do. I was on the road on tour all month. I appreciate you all tuning in to the on-demand episodes at the site as well as downloading them, and especially my Facebook family at Gullah Geechee Nation on Facebook.com. Y'all been holding it down. Y'all been sharing those shows and tuning in. I get all the stats, so I know you're listening. I appreciate it, and especially all my international listeners and those who are using these broadcasts in your classes. I find that outstanding, and there's also the the blogs that are at GullahGeecheeNation.com that give you history and background to the show. So there will be more that will be posted about this. And coming up this coming weekend, we're going to have a special broadcast on March 1st uh, that's going to happen of this show to talk about Wilmington on Fire. Many of you listened to my episode this month on Black Townships and the destruction of black townships, genocide and gentrification in the Gullah Geechee Nation, well, that is going to bring you forward into this project that we have been in such support of with Wilmington on Fire. But I pray that all of you who have not yet come out to the Gullah Geechee Land and Legacy World Tour, that you'll be at some of our stops coming up in March in various places, but also Gullah Geechee Volunteer Month is happening in March. So if you have not yet decided where to go for spring break and do something hands-on, pun the land that we standing on and standing for, email us at G-U-L-L-G-E-E-C-O at A-O-L dot com. And I greatly appreciate each and every one of you who have taken the time out each and every week to tune into this broadcast. And like I say, start it not robbery. They'll be here tonight for this broadcast as well. And so to take this journey with we to have Hunter done yet more way mean for be free. Well, Hunter tune in to this shall land of the Gullah Geechee. Keep on fighting for freedom because it does make a difference. God bless you. God bless our ancestors who stood up that fought and that their souls may never forgotten. May the drums of freedom be your steps each and every day along your way. So, Hunter, thank you, thank you for tuning in. There the Queen Quet, head upon the body of the Gullah Geechee Nation. So glad he Hunter chilling joined me. One more again for We Black Story Pun Gullah Geechee Rhythm. God bless you, Hunter Chilla. Take it easy, y'all. Peace and blessings.